This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. I enjoy watching football, although my favorite NFL team, the Chiefs, have not had a good team worth watching for several years. They've had good players come and go, but as a whole, the team just can't seem to pull anything off. For a while, they had some good players that were at the dying end of their great careers, like Joe Montana. During his prime, Montana was an incredible quarterback, very fun to watch. His throwing arm is one for the Hall of Fame, and he will never be forgotten. But while he was in the active roster, nobody cares a single thing about how great he was in the past. Even if he were to win every single game that he played several years ago, fans want to be sure that he can do the same thing now. They want to know that he'll be able to do it going forward if they're going to keep him on the team. If Montana were a prophet and the team were a church, they wouldn't care one bit if he prophesied about events way back during the Second World War. They wouldn't care if he had the ability to prophesy about animals that he used to kill in very expensive hunting trips. In fact, they wouldn't even care about the future kills in the hunting trips because they had absolutely nothing to do with the church. If Joe Montana were a prophet and the team were a church, they would want to know that he had the ability to lead the people spiritually. Cars shaped like eggs would not matter at all. How Marilyn Monroe died would seem like a very silly thing because spiritually speaking, it has absolutely nothing to do with our faith. If he got the wrong bridge during a prophecy, and all of those men died in the past before he was born, people would not listen to him because all of this, all of it, is looking backwards and not looking towards Christ. Yet, after the deception came, we have between two and four million cult followers looking backwards instead of forward. We have helpless cult 
members standing there like drones praising the works of this dead guy. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a solid and clear warning against deceivers, as well as a very accurate pre prediction of the deceivers that are going to turn many people away from God. The serpent, in the very beginning, deceived Eve, and she ate the fruit of the garden. Deuteronomy gives this warning, Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside to serve other gods, and worship them. Paul, in almost every single letter that he gives to the church, it comes with also a warning about the deceivers that are going to rise. In Colossians, he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, and going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows from a growth that's from God. In Romans, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul, or an angel from heaven, should preach any gospel contrary to the one that we preached, let him be accursed. Paul has just said, if there's an angel standing on a platform with some guy who claims that he killed a brown bear, don't listen to this nonsense. Listen to Christ. As we have said before, now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He repeats himself again. In Ephesians, he says, let no one disqualify you with empty words. Words about bears, words about antlers, words about Marilyn Monroe. For these are the things of the wrath of God that comes to the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For one at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Thessalonians, he says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will come, that day will not come, unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Don't listen to these people that say 1977 is the end, because it's not going to happen until we see the man of lawlessness. Corinthians, he says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That one is humbling. While our focus should be on Christ, he's saying that something is going to come that is going to take your focus off of Christ and put it on some man that is doing something that is not of Christ. Romans, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles co contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. 
avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Timothy, he says, while evil and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Titus, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially to those of the circumcision party. He's saying, especially to those that are bound by the law. Philippians, for many who, am, who I have often told you, and now, even with tears, walk as enemies to the cross of Christ. Not just are they deceivers, these people are enemies to the cross of Christ. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 1 John, I write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because there, because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Now this one is very harsh, because William Branham denied the Father and the Son. He denied the entire fullness of the Godhead because he says that the Father was also Jesus Christ, is also the Holy Spirit. He taught oneness. And 1 John says this is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. The Antichrist. 2 John, for many deceivers come out in the world, but they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such is the deceiver and the Antichrist. This is exactly, again, what William Branham did. He died as just a man on, on the cross, according to William Branham. They don't teach the same Jesus Christ that the Bible teaches in the Gospels. Even in the book of Jude, there's only one single chapter in the book of Jude, it contains a warning of the deception that is coming. He says, Beloved, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago was designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. They're all saying the same thing. These are very strong warnings. If God thought it was important enough to include in every book in the New Testament, don't you think we should pay attention? The writers of these books are calling out to us from the graves. They're holding up large signs of warning. Paul's first letter to Timothy starts with the warning of these men who would rise and deceive the church. Paul says, As I urge you when going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may cha charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, 
nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Listen to what Paul is saying here. Myths which have no bearing whatsoever on our salvation. These myths are promoting speculation rather than stewardship from God. This is exactly what we see today in the cult. He says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, <clears throat> by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make such confident assertions. I almost wonder, was Paul seeing a vision of the Branham cult? Vain discussions. Whether or not a large bear was killed. Whether or not antlers measured a certain length whenever they were on a hunting trip. Or if a second bear was ever killed. What do these things matter with our salvation? He says, now I know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding that the law is not laid down for the just, but to the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, perjurers, murderers, the sexually immoral." The men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I've been entrusted. This is exactly what William Branham did, preaching law and not understanding the law itself. Applying certain Mosaic laws to the church, not even knowing that he himself was breaking other parts of that same law. Paul said the law was written for people like William Branham and his two homosexual tape boys. Paul says that we need to rise above these evil men. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful appointing to me to his service, though I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly, in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed with, for me with the faith and the love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now think of that. This theology of Paul undermines the entire doctrine of William Branham. We are not to separate ourselves and get in our little cubbyhole and hide in a corner. We are to go out and preach the gospel. We are to save the sinners, because we ourselves are sinners. He says, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him in eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, 
the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies that I previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of the faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I handed over to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. Paul trusted Timothy to keep the wolves out from among the sheep. False teachers like William Branham were certain to come into the church, severing the body of Christ. As Christians, we should ask ourselves, once we found out that we were the part of the body that was severed off, what did we do? Did we flop around like an arm that was chopped off? Do we say how glad we were that we were chopped off from the head, the legs, and the torso? How many songs, I'm so glad, talking about how we've separated ourselves from other Christians, severed ourselves from the body of Christ? Or did we do everything we could to join back to the body of Christ? How did you handle it? 